name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Um, especially during this time um, where we have uh, many things going on, and, and actually, as many people have said, that uh, the year 2020 is uh, you know, a year of problems and has a lot of issues. And uh, of course, the uh, pandemic, the corona, um, many, many things that are happening. Um, sometimes we feel that um, yeah, I mean, we, we fall into many tribulations, we fall into many temptations. And um, even sometimes we wonder why God allows uh, these temptations. Why, why does God allow something like a virus that um, kills many people and makes many people sick and uh, causes uh, the world economy to uh, be shaken and all of these things. And uh, we want to um, read um, one verse or two verses in the book of Job. Um, actually, at any time we think of tribulations, any time we, we think of um, uh, temptations, Job is always a good example uh, to think about because Job uh, endured um, probably the, the most um, uh, powerful uh, tribulation that any man can endure. And um, what, what do we read in the book of Job in chapter 5 and verses 17 and 18? It says, Behold, happy is the man whom God corrects. Happy is the man whom God corrects. Therefore, do not despise the chastening of the Almighty. For he bruises, but he binds up. He wounds, but his hands make whole. I want to read this again. He bruises, but he binds up. The Lord bruises. So to answer the question, can God allow temptation? Yes. Here in the book of Job, we read that he bruises. So he has a way that he can cause some kind of pain. He bruises, but he binds up. So after he makes the cut or after he makes the wound, he's going to fix it. He winds up. He wounds, but his hands make whole. When God allows temptations to happen, first of all, God does not tempt us. Yeah, let's, let's make sure we understand this, that God does not tempt us, but he allows temptations. But when he allows temptations, he also grants the solution, the comfort, and the outlet. So when God allows temptation like he did in the, in the, in the story of Job, he also gave a solution, although the solution came some time later, and usually that's what happens. He grants comfort, and then he also grants an outlet um, for the problem. So if God permits, just like the verse said, that he bruises, but then he binds up. Now, not all temptations are from God. Not all the temptations are from God. We said that God doesn't tempt us, but he allows temptations. But it doesn't mean that every temptation that comes is because God you know, wants us to be tested or something like that. Sometimes temptations come from evil people. And this is, this is why people, um, you know, we all, all, all people, we have free will. We have free will. And because we have free will, we have the will to do anything that we want. So some people, they use their free will to do good and to help people and to come to church and to repent and to uh, pray and to fast. Some other people, they use this free will to do evil. If God was to limit our free will and, and to say to the evil people, no, you cannot do this, 
then he would not have the right to judge them at the end. Because these people would say, well, you limited my freedom. Maybe I was going to repent later, but you limited my freedom. And so God gave us the free will so that we can either get the reward if we do good or we get the punishment if we do bad. And so some of these temptations are coming upon us because of the, the deeds of these evil people who have free will to do anything. Sometimes the temptations come to us because of our sins, because we are the ones who are doing something wrong. As we read in, in, in the book of Daniel, Daniel said, because of our sins and our iniquity and the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people are a reproach to all those around us. So there is a problem here, and this problem is because of our sins and because of the iniquities of our fathers. Sometimes the temptation comes because of the envy of the devil, like in the story of Job, that the devil saw Job, and he went to God and complained and said, does Job freely worship you? Does Job freely love you? Does Job freely do good? Isn't it because you gave him and you gave him and you gave him? This was envy because Despite whatever the devil was trying to do, maybe to Job, to his family, to the people around him, Job still succeeded and he still prospered and he still kept his faith. And so the devil was envy of that and he went and tempted him. Sometimes the temptations come from false brethren, like in the story of Job, uh, sorry, the, the story of Joseph. Who, who put Joseph in the tribulation? It was his own brethren. They took him. They, they put him in the, in the well, and then they took him back out, and they sold him to the Ishmaelites, and then he was sold to the, the Egyptians. All of this happened because of his so-called brethren. Even St. Paul himself, he said, what, in 2 Corinthians, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils among false brethren. So sometimes the temptation may come from the people close to us, from our own countrymen, from our own brethren. In any case, God may allow these temptations for our benefit at the end. What are the characteristics of the temptations that are permitted by God? If God allows a temptation, what are going to be the characteristics? The first one is it always has a solution. This temptation, this problem, is going to always have a solution. Um, Pope Shenouda said that every problem has a, a pyramidal shape, looks like a pyramid or like a triangle. We see at the beginning of the problem that the problem maybe starts small and then starts to get a little bit bigger, 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 and then it it reaches like the, 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 the you know the the top, and that's when we feel like that's it, we can't take it any any longer. But then when it reaches the top, under God's command, it starts to go down and decrease and decrease and decrease until finally it is solved. the The Lord said, "What I am the way." the truth, and the life. So with Christ, even if there's a temptation, he is the way and he is the solution. Also, the temptation that God allows will not be more than what we can handle. It will not be more than what we can handle. In the story of St. Anthony, St. Anthony was, was tempted by the devils by many, many uh, different ways. Sometimes they appear to him like beasts and try to attack him. Sometimes they appear to him, they, they would throw like uh, money and, and gold in the sand and see if he will go pick it up. Sometimes they appear to him um, in, in the form of women and try to entice him and try to tempt him. But actually one time 
after the devil was like really tired of, of tempting him and nothing is working. So he appeared to him in his, in his form, in his um, evil form. And he actually physically beat him. And he beat him almost to death. He beat him almost to death, but not to death. Because at that point, he cried out to God and God came and, and he helped him. And actually, um, he kind of, you know, reprimanded God a little bit. And he said, Lord, why did you wait so until I was almost dead before you came? And the Lord reprimanded him back and said, I was here all the time. <clears throat> I was waiting for you to call upon me. As soon as you called upon me, I came to you. So the Lord may allow the temptation, but he will allow the temptation only up to what we can handle. And actually, sometimes we, we can handle more than what we think we can handle. Also, the temptation that is allowed by the Lord always has a reward. In the book of Revelations, he says, he who overcomes, overcomes the temptation, overcomes the trials, shall inherit all things. So when, when there's a temptation for, uh, allowed by God, there's always a reward. And the temptation is always accompanied by the mercy of God. He said in Psalm 50, call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. Notice he said, I will deliver you. It's a promise. Not I may deliver you or perhaps I will deliver you. Or if you do such and such, then I might think about it. No, it's a promise. Call upon me. I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. Also in, in, the, in the epistle of St. James, you have heard of the perseverance of Job and seen the end intended by the Lord, that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. Here, this, this verse kind of summarizes for us the entire book of Job, that God allowed the temptation so that Job can persevere because he is very compassionate and very merciful. Maybe we think about this and we say, how can a compassionate and merciful God allow all these temptations to befall a man like Job? But it was for the cleansing of Job. It was for the purification of Job. So, and God did not remove his mercy from Job. He was still with him and he, he, he saw everything that he did. And that's why at the very end of the book, he spoke to him. And he corrected him for the small you know, problem that Job had, which was self-righteousness. But he allowed the temptation in order for Job to be purified. Because Job, at the very end of the chapter, he said what? By the hearing of the ear, I heard of you. That means before this experience, I kind of knew about you. I heard about you. But now my eyes have seen you. Now I have experienced you. So this was a very um, powerful turning point in the life of Job. The bruising that the Lord allows, as, as we read in, in, in the book of Job, that he bruises, but he binds up, is always accompanied with mercy. Let's look at the, the story of David. You know, David, at one point, um, he decided to number the people. You know this uh, story, right? Um, at some point in his life, when after he had reigned for many years, he's like, let me see how many people we have. Let me see how, how big of an army we have. Let me see how... You know, the blessing that we have is how much. And that was against the command of the Lord because the Lord said never to number the people. Why? Because the people are a blessing from God. If you start numbering them, then you are basically trying to remove the blessing. You're trying to say, I want to see what I did. No, you don't number them. You allow God to bless them and you go, you know, go forward. And so when, when David made the sin, he was scolded by Gad the prophet. And Gad the prophet came to him. And he told him, what you did is wrong. And so therefore, 
God is giving you a choice of three punishments. Do you remember, anybody remember what the three punishments were? He told him for seven years, there could be a famine on the land. So that means the, the, the kingdom, the people will be hungry for seven years. Or for three months, your enemies will pursue you and you'll be running away from your enemies. Or for three days, there will be a plague upon the people. And David said, it is better to fall into the hand of the Lord than to fall in the hands of men. If it's, if it's a famine, we cannot escape it. If it's people, you know, um, chasing us, we cannot escape it. But if it's a plague that the Lord brings upon us, perhaps he will have mercy upon us. And that's exactly what happened. After one day, David cried out to the Lord and the Lord lifted the plague um, from the people. So the bruising that comes from the Lord is always accompanied with mercy. Please let us fall in the, into the hand of the Lord for his mercies are great, but do not let me fall into the hand of man. And also when God punishes, it's not an aggressive punishment. Very big difference between like, when Satan punishes, when Satan punishes, he hates us. He really, he, he's got this, you know, rage. And he's like, when he, when he attacked Job here, he was trying to completely destroy him. He destroyed all of his land, all of his possessions. He even killed all of his children. That's how much of a rage it is. But when the Lord punishes, it's not aggressive like that. Who was the first person who sinned and was punished? Adam, Adam and Eve, and God gave him a sentence. But what did what was accompanied by the sentence? Was there some kind of hope with it? Yes, he said, he shall bruise your head to the serpent. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise its heel. So the, the, the seed of man or the seed of Eve shall bruise the head of the serpent. That means he will triumph. He bruises, but he binds up. Cain, Cain was the first murderer and he was really the father of, of evil and the father of lies. Whoever, but when he cried out to the Lord and he said, my sin is greater than I can bear. The Lord said, whoever kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord set a mark on Cain, lest anyone finding him shall kill him. So even against the man who basically started you know, every evil thing on earth, the first evil person, the first murderer, when he cried out to the Lord, the Lord had mercy on him. Jonah. While Jonah was inside the belly of the whale, he perceived the mercy of the Lord. He said what? I have been cast out of your sight. He was praying in the belly of the whale. So he's telling God, I know that what I did is so wrong and you have cast me away from your sight. Yet I will look again towards your holy temple. He had faith. He knew that even though his sin was great and everything that he did was wrong and that God had cast him out of his sight, he said, yet I will look again towards your holy temple. And so the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. King Solomon um, King Solomon at the beginning of his life was, was very good. Um, when the Lord asked him, what do you seek? He said, he, he, he said, I seek wisdom. And so the Lord gave him wisdom. He was the wisest man to ever live on the earth and he gave him riches and he gave him everything. And he wrote to us the beautiful books of Proverbs 
Ecclesiastes and Song of Solomon. But at, at the end of his life, towards the end of his life, his heart turned away from the Lord and he married many women and he began to worship idols and it was a mess. And despite all of that, when the Lord rebuked him for, for his sins, he said what? Because of what you did, I will surely tear the kingdom away from you and give it to your servant. So the sentence is there. I'm going to take away the kingdom from you. Nevertheless, <clears throat> I will not do it in your days. There is the mercy. For the sake of your father, David, I will tear it out of the hand of your son. However, I will not tear away the whole kingdom. I will give one tribe to your son for the sake of my servant, David. So even in the punishment, even in the sentence, we see the mercy of the Lord. God bruises with love and with mercy like a father. You know, when we do something wrong when we were kids um, and our, our father, you know, tried to punish us because of what we did, it wasn't because he was trying to get rid of us. It wasn't because he was trying to, you know, he had this rage and he wanted to destroy us. It was because he was trying to teach us something. Whether that thing is, you know, what you did is wrong and don't do it again, or this is what happens when you do this, this thing wrong. But it, there was fatherhood in the discipline. And that's how the Lord deals with us. Like a priest, when we go to confession and we, we, um, we tell Abuna, I have done this and this and this, and, and these are very you know, big sins. So the priest will give us a canon, a canon like, for example, okay, um, you must pray you know, three times a day for a week, or you must fast up to this hour for a week, or you must do um, you know, 20 metanias every night. This is a canon, but he gives us an explanation and a plan for repentance. Why am I giving you this? in order for you to be saved, in order for you to let go of the sin, in order for you to improve your spiritual life. We have an example in um, the sinner of Corinth. So after St. Paul preached in Corinth, Corinth was, was a problem church or a problem city. And one of, it had many problems. It had um, divisions in the church. It had many, many problems. When you read the, the, the first, especially the first epistle, of St. Paul to the Corinthians, and you read carefully, you see why actually St. Paul is like talking to them in a very stern uh, manner because of all the problems that they have because they don't listen to him because, because, because. One of the big problems in Corinth was there was a sinner who has committed sexual immorality, something that St. Paul said has not even been heard of uh, among the Gentiles. So whatever he did, it was something very grave. And so what did St. Paul say in, in, in the first uh, Corinthians? He said, deliver such a one to Satan. Wow, really? St. Paul is saying or praying that this man be delivered to Satan. For the destruction of the flesh, St. Paul is actually praying that this man be tempted by Satan and that his body is bruised, that his body is destroyed. Why? That his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. To that extent, St. Paul, maybe this, this may be a little bit, you know, um, we, we, we look at it and we say this may be too much. But up to that point, St. Paul cares about the spiritual life and about the soul of this sinner that he said, even it gets, if it gets to the point 
that this man is delivered to the power of Satan and he bruises him and he gives him diseases and whatever happens, as long as his, his uh, spirit is saved, that's what's important. In the second epistle to the Corinthians, this man repented because of what St. Paul did. And what does St. Paul tell the, the, the Corinthians after that, when, after he repents? Forgive and comfort him. Forgive and comfort him. Lest perhaps such a one be swallowed up with too much sorrow. Therefore, I urge you to reaffirm your love to him. Now we see the fatherhood. Now we see, you know, the, the bruising, but now we see the binding up. The first part, this man is a sinner. He needs to be punished so that he can wake up. When he was bruised and he started to repent, St. Paul did not say, throw him out. He doesn't come to the church anymore. No, he said, give him love. Reaffirm your love to him. Make sure that he's accepted. Make sure that he feels he has a family. Make sure that he feels that he has a church to come back to. Isaac. Isaac was sacrificed by his father. Maybe the, the, the most difficult experience that, that any child or any boy can experience is that his father is about to kill him. But he trusted in his father's love. You know, actually, Isaac was not a child when his father um, sacrificed him. He was a youth. And he could have easily fought against his father. Actually, any one of us, if you think about it, if, if you see that your father is about to kill you, what are you going to do? You're going to fight. You're going to try to survive. You're going to try to say, what are you doing? You're going to at least argue or rebel. But Isaac didn't do that because he trusted in his father's love that this, uh, this is for his um, you know, benefit. I trust him even if he kills me. We, we did not read in the scripture that Isaac said anything like, you know, well, what, when I come back or anything like that, he's like, fine, if, if you need to sacrifice me, then go ahead and sacrifice me. But we know, we know that Abraham had faith that Isaac will come back. And how do we know this? When he went to the mountain and, and he, he took with him his two servants, he left them at the bottom of the mountain. And what did he tell them? Stay here with the, with the, with the donkey. And Isaac and I will go up to worship and what will return to you. He didn't say we will go up to worship and maybe we'll see you later. No, he said we will return to you. I know that we will return to you. So the bruising of the Lord is, is for our edification. And so it must be accompanied by love. St. Jerome said something very nice. A father does not chastise his son except because he loves him. A teacher does not rectify his student unless he sees him responding. And then this next part is, is really nice. When a doctor stops caring for a sick person, this is a sign that he lost hope in his recovery. So if you see a, a sick man, he goes to the hospital and let's say he has a terminal disease, cancer or something. At the beginning, the doctors are doing everything they can, maybe surgeries, maybe chemotherapy, maybe this, maybe that. Let's try this. Let's try this, um, you know, a clinical trial. Let's do this. Let's do that. But if it comes to the point where there is no hope, no matter what is going to happen, this patient is going to die. Then they begin to say, OK, let's look at options of putting you in a home. Uh, maybe you want to go and, and spend a few days with your family before you before, you know, it ends. And that's when the patient feels that there is no hope because at the beginning, the doctor was fighting for him. 
when the doctor stops fighting for. And by, by the way, all of these things are bruising, right? Surgery is bruising. Chemotherapy is bruising. Um, medicine may be bruising, all of these things. But when he stops bruising him, then he has lost hope. Sandrome also said, happy is the one who is chastened in this world, for God will never punish him twice. If God chastises us in this world, then he is going to be merciful and, and, and happy for us because we are going to overcome these punishment or this temptation, and then we will go to heaven. Saint Cyprian said, when God rebukes us, it is to, rect it is to rectify us. And when he rectifies us, he preserves us. So everything that he's doing is for our edification. And Solomon says in Proverbs 27, faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. Very, very nice verse. The wounds of a friend, if you know you have a friend and you do something wrong and he comes and he rebukes you, yes, it might hurt you, it's a wound, but it's for your benefit. But an enemy who comes and kisses you, he's, he's not looking out for you. He's looking to see when are you gonna fall. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. An enemy versus a physician. If they're both holding a knife, the enemy is trying to hurt us, but the physician, even though he's holding a knife, he's trying to um, remedy us. He's trying to do a surgery to, to help us to save our life. What happens when we reject the bruising? So a weak person, he will say what? God did this to me. I will not go to church anymore. I'm not going to go to Sunday school anymore. I'm not going to take communion anymore. I'm not going to pray anymore, right? That's, that's the usual response of a weak person. But a strong person says what? My brethren, as St. James said, count it all joy, be joyful, when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. St. James is actually telling us, be happy when you fall into into trials because these trials are going to produce patience. Daniel said what? My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouth. And St. Paul the Anchorite, you know who St. Paul the Anchorite is? He's the, the friend of St. Anthony. We only have one saying for St. Paul the Anchorite, and it is, it is this saying, he who flees from temptations flees from God. He who flees from temptations flees from God. And St. John Chrysostom says, illegitimate are not chastened, then we should rejoice when we are chastened, for it is a sign of our legitimate sonship. You know, if a, if a, if a man has some illegitimate children out of wedlock, he doesn't care. They go wherever they go. They do whatever they do. It's not a problem. You know, he doesn't really look out for them. But when the son does something wrong, he chastises him. And maybe the illegitimate children are living with him in the same house. He chastises the son and, you know, the illegitimate child, he just let him run around and do whatever he wants. And the son will say, Father, how come you're punishing me, but the other child, you're, you know, he's just doing whatever he wants because I care about you, because you're my heir, because you're my son. The other one is illegitimate. Rejoicing in the bruising. Joseph, 
he was faithful. He was successful. His, his father loved him. He trusted him. And then he was sold. And then he was betrayed. He was accused for doing something that he did not do. He was jailed for, for while he was innocent. And even after all that, he was even forgotten. You know, they forgot him in the jail. And he, he lived in the jail for years. But what did he say at the end? After the tribulation was over, after the Lord bind him up, God has made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord of all his house and a ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. He rejoiced in the bruising. Saint John the beloved, the disciple, he was loving everything that we, yeah, when you read the epistles of Saint John, he wrote three epistles. It's all about love. Everything in there is about love. He was a bishop. He was the caretaker of, of the Virgin Saint Mary. And then he was persecuted and then he was, he was exiled to the island of Patmos. What did he do? He was a man of peace. He was a man of love. And then all of this happened to him. He was bruised. But what happened at Patmos, the, the place where he was exiled, he saw the revelations and he wrote to us about the revelations. He saw the door standing open in heaven. He saw heaven. He saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from heaven. He saw a new heaven and a new earth. He saw things that none of us were able to see and will not be able to see except when we go up to heaven, God willing. The three youth in the, in the fiery furnace, they were persecuted for doing nothing wrong. All they did was they said, we worship God. We're not going to worship the idols. And so they were thrown into the fire. And so what happened when they went into the fire? They rejoiced because they walked with the fourth like the Son of God. They walked with Christ. They walked with the Son of God. St. Ignatius of Antioch, he was an old man, and um, they were taking him to the arena, to the Colosseum, to throw him to the lions. And people tried to tell him, you're an old man, just do whatever you want, you know, do, do whatever just to get out of it. You're going to die, you know, soon anyway. Why not, you know, die peacefully in your bed and don't die in the, in the Colosseum. Let us talk to the, the governor for you. All of these things. And what did he tell them? He rejoiced in the bruising. <clears throat> hinder me not from entering into life. Do not hinder me from going and meeting with Christ and entering into the eternal life. Bruising is a half-truth. If we only look at the bruising, we're looking at the half-truth. Because binding up is the other half. Remember the verse, the Lord bruises and he binds up. Enduring martyrdom, all the martyrs that we, um, that we read about, St. George, St. Damiana, um, St. Mina. It's actually impossible to endure martyrdom without the grace of God. It's impossible. Can you imagine somebody, you know, starting to whip you or somebody um, putting you on the, on the pressing wheel or somebody pulling out your nails? There was, there's um, a martyr, his name is uh, St. Jacob, the, the, the Sorn Asunder. Sorn Asunder. They told him to, you know, uh, worship the idols. And he said, no. So they said, okay, every day we will cut off one of your limbs. And so they went, first day they cut their hand, his hand, and then his elbow, and then his arm, and then his foot, and then his ankle, and then his, his leg, up until he was nothing except what a body and a head. That's all that was left of him. And he, he would, can't even stand, but he would talk to God. And he said, I don't have arms or hands to raise up to you. I don't have 
legs to bend and worship you, but I still love you and I still worship you. Um, those martyrs could not endure without the grace of God, without the peace, without the visions, without the assurance of the final destination, um, without the miracles that they witnessed. This is the other half, the binding up. Half truth. The Lord said what? In the world, you will have tribulation. This is the bruising. What is the other half? What is the other half of the verse? But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. That's the other half. That's the binding up. You will be brought before kings and rulers. That's the bruising. The binding up. If you, But it will turn out for you as an occasion for a testimony. The half-truth or the bruising. You will be hated by all for my name's sake. You'll be hated by all for my name's sake. But what is the binding up? But he who endures to the end will be saved. When we look at the story of Ruth. Ruth, she was bruised. She was a widow. She married the, 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 the one of the sons of Naomi. And then he died. And she was, she was a young lady, a young girl, already a widow, don't have any children, don't have anybody. And then she decided to go with her mother-in-law back to Israel. So now she's a foreigner. She's a widow and she's a foreigner. And she has nothing. She's poor. She has nothing to the point that she's hungry, that she is going around the field collecting, you know, the, uh, the sheaves that are fallen from the servants. You know, like we can think of it like she's collecting the trash, right? She's collecting the stuff that's falling on the wayside. So this is all the bruising. But then what is the binding up? What happened at the end of the story? She becomes the wife of Boaz and she becomes the great grandmother of Christ because of her faith, because of her love. David. David, after he was um, ordained or anointed as king, Actually, this is very strange when you think about it. He was anointed king while Saul was still king. So already there is going to be a problem, right? If he goes up to the kingdom and tells Saul, hey, get off the throne. Samuel, you know, anointed me king. Do you think Saul was going to say, oh, yeah, sure, here, take the throne? Already there's going to be a problem, right? Um, so, and then at the beginning, Saul brought him and he kept him in, in, the, in the castle and he was, you know, good towards him. And then he be, began to hate him and he tried to kill him more than once. So he became a, a vagabond and he was hunted and he was a target. And he, he had to run from one place to another to the point at one point that he ran to the Philistines, to the city of Gath. Do you remember who was from Gath? Who did David fight at the beginning of his life? Goliath. Goliath. Goliath was from Gath. Can you imagine that you go and hide in the, in the city of your enemy? What, you know, what happened? I can't imagine what happened when David came in to the city of Gath and the people said, this is the guy that killed Goliath. I'm, I, I'm sure it wasn't like a pleasant, you know, welcoming party or anything like that. Unless they were not, he was never connected them. And so maybe they were trusting that. <laughs> we never know. But then the binding up <clears throat> is he became the king, he became the psalmist, and he even became the exorcist. He's the one who was exercising evil spirits from, um, from Saul. 
Elijah the prophet, what did he do? He was upholding the word of God. And because of that, he was known as the bringer of trouble, the bringer of the, doubt, of the, of the drought. And King Ahab called him what? The, trouble of, uh, the troubler of Israel. Like all the problems are coming because of you, Elijah. And then what happened? The binding up, he became, instead of being the, the bringer of troubles, he be, became the bringer of blessings. He's the one who blessed the oil and the flour. He's the one who um, allowed the rain to come back and um, fill the land. So what happens if we keep focusing on the bruising? If we keep fo focusing on the bruising, we are giving up the blessing. We are relinquishing the binding up. Moses, the prophet, what happened to him? After everything he did and after putting up with the, with the stiff-necked people in the wilderness for 40 years, can you imagine? You're dealing with stubborn people and not like one or two, but about two million people who are stubborn and who are fighting you on every, you know, every turn. And after all of that, the Lord told him, you shall not enter the promised land. Wow. You shall not enter the promised land. Lord, after I did all of this, okay, if I just focus on this, if the story of Moses ended there, then we would say the Lord is very, you know, um, not fair, right? But actually, the story of Moses continues in the New Testament because we, we see Moses again on the, on the transfiguration. He entered the land, and this time he entered in glory. He appeared with the Lord. Wow, okay. If, if this is what it takes to enter the, the, the land and be glorified with Christ, that's fine. I will not enter the land now. I will wait. I will not focus on the bruising. I will focus on the binding up. If we focus on the binding up, so as St. Paul says, a thorn in the flesh was given to me. This is the bruising. A thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I exalt above measure. So there was a problem, a medical problem. Some people say, you know, he had some kind of uh, disease in his back. Some people say he was blind or, or his vision was very weak. There's many, many, you know, speculations about what um, this, this uh, thorn in the flesh was. But whatever it is, it was something that was bothering him, right? It was something that was a problem for him. And he prayed for it. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. But what was the response of the Lord? And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. This is the binding up. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. So the Lord is saying, if I make you strong, you will not rely on me. And then you will not get my blessing. You will not get my grace. So it's better for you to be weak and I be your strength. Okay. In that case, let me focus on that. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will focus on the binding. Most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. In that case, let me be weak and let the power of Christ rest upon me. And by the way, what happened to, um, you know, the thorn in the flesh? It says in Acts 19, the handkerchiefs and aprons were brought from his body to the sick. So whatever the sickness was, he used to bind it, this, this wound with aprons and handkerchiefs. 
and then he he would remove it and change his clothing or change his dressing and put new ones. So they used to take these handkerchiefs and the aprons that were on his disease, and the diseases left them, and evil spirits went out from them. This is the power. This is the strength of Christ. That's what he told him. My my grace is sufficient for you. When you are weak, then I will make you strong. So even though Saint Paul was not remedied from this thorn in the flesh. The, the aprons that were binding him was, you know, uh, relieving diseases and evil spirits from people. So the Lord bruises and he binds up. God allows temptations. Not every temptation comes from God. As we said at the beginning, temptations may come from evil people. They may come from our own sins. They may come from people around us, but God at the end may allow the temptation. And he allows the temptation always with healing. He bruises, but he binds up. And always the temptation that God allows us for our own edification. And so we should accept these bruises with joy and endurance. And we should not focus on the bruising, but should always focus on the healing. And always remember, there's a half truth. The bruising is only a half truth, but the um, healing or the binding up is the other half of the truth. We'll close with this quote from Saint Jerome. Which is better, to enter the battle of chastisement for a short period of time and get wearied from carrying the heavy burdens of our equipment of war as weapon, than rejoice for we became victorious, or be, remain as slaves of sin forever because we did not endure for one hour. So which is better that we go through the trials of life, but it's a short time, short time compared to eternity. I remember um, uh, Father Yunan was saying one time, can you imagine that each one of us has a book in heaven? This, this book is like a million pages. And it's not one book, but it's a million books. Okay? On the first, in the first book, on the first page, on the first line of that first page, it's written, so-and-so was born on this date, and he died on this date. Okay, that's our life. Just one sentence on the first page, on the first line of the first page of the first book. And then the rest of it, there's a, a million pages left and a million books left is our eternity. If, if, we, if we think about it this way, we can see how futile and how small our life on earth is compared to our eternal life. So here St. Jerome is saying, you know, imagine we are going into battle and we are carrying our equipment and our weapons and everything like that. And, and we're getting tired, of course. You, you, we, you, you see in the movies and in, in, in the war movies, the soldiers are carrying everything and they're walking for miles and it's raining and they're tired. But they are going to be victorious. And when they, when they are victorious, they're going to win the war, they're gonna go home as heroes. Would you rather do that? Or would you rather remain as slaves of sin, in other words, Say, I'm not going to fight. I'm not going to endure. I don't want temptations. I don't want anything. Just leave me alone. Um, because we did not want to endure even for one hour. We did not want to pick up the weapons even for one hour. Another analogy, and I'll close with this. Um, what's the difference between a soldier who um, 
picks up the weapon and fights in a war and he gets wounded. And so he goes home and he's lost an eye or a leg or, or, or something. He goes home wounded. And then another soldier next to him who says, this is too dangerous, I'm not gonna fight. And he just throws the, you know, the weapon down and goes hide somewhere. The first one is gonna go home wounded, but he's gonna go home as what? As a hero. The second man is gonna go home unharmed, but he's gonna go home as a what? As a coward, as a deserter. Which is better, to go home as a hero, even though you got injured, or to go home as a coward and a deserter because you were afraid, because you didn't wanna fight. So let us remember this verse that the Lord bruises and he binds up. Anytime we feel the bruising of the Lord, let's try to remember the, the second part of the verse that he binds up. And glory be to God forever. Amen. Are there any questions? Shall we pray? Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for that. Thank you, Father, for that. Thank you, Father, for that.